short series on being church, and we have been talking about church being the bride of Christ and vineyard of God and a priest. And today we are going to look at church being the flock of God. I am quite certain that uh, shepherd and sheep kind of images is the most common images in the Bible uh, between shepherd and sheep. Even though if you have not grown up on uh, a farm, we should have little trouble grasping this imagery because it is so commonly spoken of in the Bible. I grew up in Singapore, but if I read the Bible, I know God always describes sheep and shepherd. And shepherding is an image that pertains to ruling, to a leader exercising authority over a group of people, which is his flock. That's right throughout Scripture. And in his earthly ministry, Jesus expressed great compassion for the people because they lacked spiritual leadership. He described the plight of the people in shepherding terms. Let me show you a couple. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So like sheep without a shepherd. Again, using the terminology of shepherd as leader and sheep as the flock of them leading. And God's relationship to the nation Israel was likened to that of a shepherd and his flock. God was Israel's shepherd and the people were his flock. Let me read to you a couple of passages that, that bring out this, this point. Psalm 78, He brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness while leading them out of Egypt. See, using this shepherd and sheep as a Psalms 96, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Psalms 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So the imagery of a shepherd and his flock does provided a picture of the way God cared for his people. And does this imagery also serve as a model for human leaders? And God always used a shepherd as a, a way to depict leaders, what leaders should do. It is no wonder I can safely infer that God prepared Moses to lead the Israelites by first having him what? Being a what? Shepherd. You go to lead the people, be a shepherd first. So 40 years in the palace, 40 years in the wilderness, and the last 40 years he served God. So two-thirds of his life is spent by God shaping him or her, him before God actually can use him. And also King David, what was he before being a king? He was a? Shepherd, again, the leadership motive is, is right throughout Scripture that you're a shepherd because a shepherd is, there's so many things a shepherd needs to do to depict what then he ought to do as leaders. But the problem is, the difficulty is that Israel leaders were actually a great disappointment. They failed God as a leader. 
the patriarchs were far from perfect. Even the best of Israel leaders, they sometimes had feet of clay. Moses' failure as a leader kept him from entering the promised land because he didn't trust God. He struck the rock. And David abused his power too. Uh, Eli and Samuel, they were great men, but their leadership, especially in regard to their families, was far from exemplary. Even the great prophet Elijah suffered from a bout of depression and wanted to commit suicide. He ran away and God has to send uh, to refresh him. Uh, Solomon, early years as king, were all inspiring, but his later life was in shambles. So in the end, there was no perfect leader throughout the history of Israel. Even though Israel as a nation is supposed to represent God and lead the people, God in a righteous way. So we know when we come down to Jesus Christ in John chapter 10, it says that Jesus said what? I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Because the shepherd, there are bad shepherds around, but Jesus said in contrast to the bad shepherd, I'm actually the good shepherd. But before I come to read John 10 to you about Jesus being our good shepherd, what I want to do is to read to you two texts, Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel chapter 34. I want to read these two texts to you. The first part of this each passages, the first part talks about the shepherd of Israel has failed God. And the second part of it explains to us that God is going to raise us a good shepherd, the real shepherd in the future. So first part is the condemnation of Israel leaders, and the second part is the promise of the good shepherd. It is a rather lengthy uh, passage to read through, especially Ezekiel 34, but I want to read it through because here you're going to see the contrast. And so when we read John chapter 10, then you'll see, aha, Jesus is a good shepherd because that's where the contrast is made. So let me start by reading to you Jeremiah 23. This is what God says to the leaders of Israel, the shepherds of Israel, who has not uh, been a good shepherd. This is what God said. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my sheep. Because you have scattered my flock and you have driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. So that's the condemnation of Israel leaders. And then now in verse 3 and 4 in Jeremiah 23, is the promise of the future good shepherd. I, my, because you have failed, God said, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Now let me just go down to Ezekiel 34. This is a lengthy one. Again, the first part of it talks about the condemnation of Israel leaders for not living up to being a good shepherd. And then the second part of it, God is saying, I will raise up a shepherd that will lead 
down David and then down through the lines of David, down to Jesus Christ, who will be the chief and good shepherd that will deliver his people. 34 says this. Now, this is quite a, quite a daunting thing to read through uh, because it's talking about shepherd. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesize against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesize and say this to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. You clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has what is the word? been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but care for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. So this is a judgment that God placed on Israel leaders who has not fulfilled their role. And then from 11 onwards, God is going to say that I'm going to raise up a shepherd that will lead my people. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Then they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep, and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind them, bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock 
with justice. And then down to verse 23, he goes on to say, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, which eventually Jesus comes down from the line of David, and he will tend them, he will tend them and be their shepherd. The Lord will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and I will rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. Well, Israel, no doubt about that. And they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Sovereign Lord. So you can see that? The contrast of condemnation of Israel leaders for not living up to what they were supposed to do, and God saying, I then will step in and do and raise up a good shepherd. That's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As if once is not enough, in John chapter 10 down to verse 16, Jesus repeats the same thing again. Say, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep knows me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And then again, what does a good shepherd does? The good shepherd lay down my life for the sheep. Twice in short space, I'm a good shepherd, and a good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. He lay down his life for us. For the remaining time that I have, I want to visit Psalms 23. And in that Psalms, I want to show you seven ways that God looks after the sheep. You are the sheep. You are the flock of God. You can take comfort from that. There are places in Scripture that are powerful, so deep, that to recite them alone is to experience them. Psalms 23 is one of those places. As one scholar says, the Psalms itself is green pasture. The psalm itself is still water. The psalm itself restores my soul. When you read through the psalms alone, that itself is green pasture. That itself is still water. That itself restores my soul. And Psalm 23 is a very personal psalm because it's written by King David. And as you read through this psalm, there are no references to we or us or they. No, because it's a very personal psalm. Only my, me, and I, and you, 
This is David's testimony, his personal experience with God. And as a pastor, this passage is read almost every funeral service. It is precious to us, a balm to our wounded souls. And what makes this a constant friend is that it covers all of life. Did you know that as you read through this, it covers your whole life. With simple beauty, it speaks of green pasture, the joy. It speaks of still water. It also speaks of dark valleys and enemies and adversaries. Is that not what life is all about? You've got still water, you've got uh, green pastures, you have uh, dark valleys, you have adversaries. It's all of life. As you read through, it encompasses your whole life. And I think what comforts me most as I read through this psalm is David really believed and have great confidence in this God. And as you read through it, as I'm going to read through for you, you will see that it moves slowly. Verse 1 to 3 is third-person language. It uses he, me. But when it comes to verse 4 onwards, it changes gear to second person. You, not more he, it's you. It becomes very personal. Because beneath this beauty of his words, there are solid convic convictions by, by David. It formed in the crucible of crisis. It is not just poetic exaggeration or theoretical theology. David has experienced God. When he penned the psalm, it is not intellectual or cognitive type of knowledge that we are talking about. It is experiential knowledge. Is it not true? You can hear even speaker, you know. Difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge. When we don't have the experience, we depend a lot on our intellectual component. But as we age, we, all that we learn, it becomes experiential knowledge. And when experiential knowledge comes out often, it's very powerful because it speaks with great conviction and not just tentative, not just, you know, uh, maybe kind of thing. So as David, you see, when I'm going to read through this, David moved from just intellectual, the Lord is my shepherd, green pasture. When you're in green pasture, you can talk about God, of, of course. You can debate about theology and all that. But when you go through valley, you don't just talk about God, you talk to God. Conviction leads to communion now. Because David, been through crisis of his life, he shifts he began to refer to God in second person. He said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, no more he anymore. It's you, because he went through that in his, in his life. You anoint my head with oil. And then he closes by returning to third person. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wonder why he shifts from he to you. Why don't he say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for he is with me. Why don't he stick to that? Because he's going through crisis. And if you know the David's life and what he wrote, it becomes clearer. If you know what Paul's life is like when you read his letter, it becomes clearer. Because David went through tremendous amount of heartache, isn't it? Lost his son, committed sin, broke God's heart, broke many people's hearts and all that kind of things. And therefore, he kind of went through dark valley. He said, God, you are with me. So he shifted. David changes from comments about God to communion with God because during his valley time, he stayed ever so close to the shepherd. 
and never taking his eyes off him. He had experienced God in a way that had ushered him towards intimacy with an almighty God. So no more just intellectual knowledge you know about God, but he experienced God. Not just know about God, but know God. That's the difference, isn't it? When we go through easy time, green pastures, we all talk about God. But when we go through dark valleys, we begin to experience God. That's why the Bible always esteems trials. Because trials often draw us closer to God and experience God. So let me just read through Psalms 23 for you. And as you see the movement from third-person language to second, and then I'll give you very quickly, without going into very detail, uh, seven things that a shepherd would do for us. Psalm 23 said, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me, third person language, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. And then look at the change now. Look at the shift to second person language. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, because He's going through valley, I will fear no evil for He, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a place before a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me give to you seven points what I believe the shepherd would do for us as his flock. First and foremost, he knows you. God knows you. He says here, the Lord is my shepherd. No hour here. My shepherd. Very intimate. And you must understand that David begins this psalm, David is my shepherd. The statement actually shook the readers of biblical time because the, temp the temptation in ancient Israel was to speak only about our God, never personal God. It's always our, collectively. No, as a people of God, as a Israel, as a nation, is our God. Seldom do they address God as intimate term. But when we come to the New Testament, when Christ comes, God becomes our Father. Each step that God reveals to us is stepping closer and closer. And now we have Holy Spirit dwells with us, then God can commune with us. A barrier has been moved closer and closer. And that is why Jesus talked in Luke chapter 15 about the lost sheep. It's again projecting that God knows us. He will go leave 99 behind and went and looked for want because that is precious to Him and intimate. And that is why Christianity is about relationship with God. Even in John chapter 1 verse 12, He says, For everyone who believes in Him, to those who receive Him, He gave the right to become what? Children of God. Because it's intimate. God knows us. We are His sheep. He's our shepherd. And we recognize His voice. Secondly, He provides me. God provides for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not be in want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. Of course, sheep obviously cannot voice out their needs, and yet the shepherd naturally knows the needs of each and every animal in the flock. And likewise, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, that even before you utter a prayer to God, God already knows what you want to ask. He knows us and He provides for us. And of course, here talk about green pastures. We can go into talk about what green pastures is. It's not just pasture, but green pastures, good food. God provides us good food, not junk food. But we love junk food. We pursue after many things except the real food. Green pastures are the rich pasture where the sheep need not move from place to place to be satisfied. The fields, even parts of the desert, would be green during the winter and spring. But in summer and autumn, the sheep would, not, would be led to many places in search for food. And God's care is not seasonal, but constant and abundant. And shepherds don't allow sheep to drink from running water because as uh, Caroline mentioned, sometimes they, they are fat, you know, they, are, they tumble over and they can get drowned and they can't even get up after that. They need someone to turn them over. And therefore, still water, quiet water that God will lead us to drink. So we, we don't really need to worry about our needs because just like the shepherd is aware of the needs of his flock, and leads them to green pastures and still water, God also is aware of our needs as well as how and where to meet them. God will provide because His name is Jehovah Jireh. Don't have to worry too much. You won't die. There's always salvos. You can go for food. If you don't want to go Christian one, you go Hare Krishna, you know, something like that in the city. Uh, God always look after us. He cares for us. It is His sheep. Just as you know how to look after your children, God knows how to look after you. You don't have to frantically pursue money all the time. Money is not God. Money is overrated to bring happiness anyway. Overrated. What is important, it is overrated to bring happiness. In fact, it destroys more families, destroys more lives. So enough is enough. And use your wealth for God's work. Use your wealth for God. If God gives you a gift to make wealth, why not? Use it to bless the church of God. Thirdly, He restores me. Not just only He knows me, not just only He provides for me, He restores me. He says He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. Sheep, unlike other animals, they are dumb. They are innocent creatures incapable of defending themselves. And therefore, they, they, they cannot stand on themselves, stand on their feet. And as we already mentioned, when they fall down, they can't even get up. Your shepherd needs to come like, like Caroline did and you know, topple up the sheep. No, they will be like, forever, you will die. You know? And shepherd needs to come and just bring them up again. So God, when we fall down, God restores us. God refreshes us. 
just like the story of the imagery. Remember the imagery about John 10, I'm a good shepherd? If you read chapter 9 and 8, you see that this contrast that God is a good shepherd, it stands out even more clearly because Israel leaders have been a bad shepherd. In John chapter 8, they, they captured the woman caught in the adultery. What did they do as a shepherd? They condemned her. In chapter 9, the man born blind. What did they do? They stopped him. Someone got healed. I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know, you say. So the shepherd has been bad. And Jesus said, well, in contrast to this bad shepherd, I am the good shepherd. I restore you. I refresh you. When you fall, I restore you. Your past doesn't define you. Your past is your past. It doesn't define you as a person. So long as you have breath to live, there is future for you. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every sinner always has a future. And God restores us, refreshes us. Just like the prodigal son, the father restores the son back to sonship by embracing him, clothe him, give the best robe, have a feast, restore the person back to sonship. And everybody fell in the scripture, God restored them. Peter, David, everyone, most of them mentioned, other than Judas himself, because he doesn't want to be restored. He refreshes my soul. So God refreshes you, restore you. He guides me. God guides you. He says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. God will guide us. From his word, he got us to do and follow the right path. Have you heard of the story about Alice in the Wonderland? Alice was walking and came to this crossroad junction. And Alice said, where should I turn? Should I turn left, turn right, go straight? Which way should I turn? Should I go? And so he asked Cheshire the cat, say, which way should I go? And Cheshire the cat said, well, where are you going? She said, I don't know. And then the cat said, well, since you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter which way you go. You can turn left, turn right, or go straight. It doesn't matter if you don't know where you're going, and therefore you can go anywhere you like. But such is not the case. God guides us. He has a destination for us to go, and He always provides us guidance, especially with the indwelling Holy Spirit in leading and guiding us. Number four, He protects us. He protects us. Us, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, God is protecting the sheep from other animals, voucher, hyena, something like that, from all this uh, attack on the sheep. God protects us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I tell people I, I live on the street of Long Valley. My valley is always very long. You know? um, so when I walk, I like to walk up of the valley. You know? uh, uh, valley. We all go through valley of life, darkest time in our lives. And that's why Psalms make it so beautiful because it encompasses green pastures, still water, valley, adversary, enemies. That is life. That is life that when we read, we all can resonate with our own life. 
because it speaks to us as a person. God protects us. He will always protect us. Uh, God wise enough to create me and the world is wise enough to watch out for me. If you are saved, it's not because of the absence of danger. You are saved because of the presence of the Lord. God watches over you. Even though you go through darkest valley of your life, He protects you even in that time. Even though sometimes we don't feel like it, but He's protecting us. Number six, He comforts me. Number six, right? Five. Six. Wake up. Six. You must have missed five. Six. He comforts me. How nice. My wife take my notes, man. How good. <laughs> my wife take my sermon. How good is that? Let uh, me say, He comforts me. He comforts me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God comforts you when you are down. God comforts you. I always believe that Christians, we are not very good comforter. We are not very good comforter. We, are, we always want to provide cure, but we don't want to provide care. Whenever people share their problem, we straight away want to provide solutions. We don't listen to people's struggle. We are very quick in wanting to provide solutions to people's internal But this is not building project. This is internal life. Internal life is not so easy to say, if you follow one, two, three, four, five, six, you'll be okay. It's not as easy. Relational struggles are difficult. Very painful. I used to have a friend, my best friend, died at the age of 38 from cancer. Best friend. Fantastic brother. Supported me in my mission. Gave me money. Even paid for my honeymoon to New Zealand. Fantastic man. He died of cancer at the age of 38. And every trip I go back to Singapore, I will visit his wife. And his wife will always say to me, uh, they only married for two years. He died and the son was only less than one years old. And uh, she, she couldn't comprehend the pain that she has to struggle with. And she often said to me, I hate talking to Christians. They always quote me Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for good. I said, what good is that? They always don't want to listen to my struggles. They always ask me to move on, move on, and move on but they don't know my struggle. But after listening to her for a few hours, I read Romans 8, 28. Because it's true. Because it's true. But the fact of the matter, you cannot straight away tell people that without lending your ear to listen to people's struggle. And when you allow people to listen to their struggle, then when you tell someone, people will listen. But Christians are not very good counselor. We say, have faith, have faith in God. You know, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Another friend of mine who died of cancer 10 years ago at the Bible college, he used to say, oh, have faith in God, have faith in God. Say, what do you think I have now at this stage of my life? What else do I have? We're not a good comforter. In fact, we injured more than we heal sometimes. 
we are harsh on people. We judge people. We are unkind with our words. We condemn people. We don't provide healing to people. We don't listen to people's struggle. We are so quick to want people to move on, move on, move on. Come on, get out of it. Get out of it. And we give every concession to ourselves. We give every concession to our own children. But others' children, others, we are harsh on them. But our children, we give exception. We are not very good in that. So we need to know. But God is our great comforter. That's the best thing. And as we learn to receive comfort from God, then we can offer our wounds as a comfort to others. As Henry Nouwen in his book called The Wounded Healer, you can't heal people. You use your wounds to heal people because you yourself have experience and you use it to your advantage of listening to people, understanding people and provide healing. And increasingly, I feel that evangelistic matter is that. Now more and more, propositional true people want to challenge but cannot challenge your love for them. And that is a relational thing that is important nowadays in, uh, in evangelism. My time is almost up. Last point, he exalts me. He exalts me. He's beautifully closed by saying, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You leave it to God, God will exalt you. Don't have to get even with your enemies. It's unnecessary. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, Lord. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David encountered many, many struggles in his life. There are never, he's never like a people who envied him and desire his fall and death so earnestly. King Saul people who belong to his inner circle, even his own son, want to overtopple him. And yet, he never once take revenge. He leave it to God. God will exalt you in his own time. You don't have to take things into your own hand. God will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's a bumper sticker that I've seen before. It said, there's only one God. So stop applying for his position. Let God be God. Let him do his job. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Your job is just to love and serve. Leave the rest to the Lord. There was a story about a young boy. Let me close with it. There was a story about a young boy uh, who was asked to read Psalms 23 to the whole church on special occasion. And after he finished reading that, the whole church stood up and gave this gifted child a long and loud applause. And then the oldest man in the church was asked to read the same Psalms. And after he finished reading, there was just dead silence. And then the sound of weeping spread throughout the sanctuary. People were sobbing and raising their hands to heaven. And after the service, during the coffee time, the boy went to the elderly man and asked for advice. The boy said, Sir, why when I read Psalms 23, the people applauded? But when you read it, they wept. The wise old man said to this curious child, He said, My son, you have done very well in reading the Psalms. 
you know the Psalms of the shepherd well. And you have read it with perfect diction and enunciation. But as for me, my voice may not be that clear, my diction poor, but after so many years of walking with my beloved Lord, I know Him and I know the shepherd of the Psalms very well. In short, son, you know the Psalms, but I know the shepherd. And that is David's songs to us, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. We'll sing now with a closing song, The Lord is My Shepherd. But let me just say this in my closing. As I was listening to this song on the YouTube, you know, usually when you, you watch songs, listen to it, there are a lot of comments below. So right at the top of the comment of this song, it says this. Someone wrote this. Someone said, The Lord helps me all the time. He helps me to give up gambling. He said, I almost lost my entire family I almost lost all my friends I lost my credibility I lost everything because of gambling in the hardest time of my life I met the Lord who never abandoned me who always led me to the right way of my life the Lord is truly my shepherd I will trust in you all the time. Shall we stand and sing this closing song, The Lord is My Shepherd?